Well, we're starting a new preaching series uh, this week as we lead up into Easter. It's uh, going to take us all the way through from um, this point, which is uh, the beginning of a season called Lent. Um, And Lent started actually on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday and takes us all the way through the six weeks leading up until um, Easter, following all of that. Now, traditionally, Lent has been this time of year, and, and, and Lent is actually those 40 days, excluding Sundays. So if you were to count them with the Sundays in it, it doesn't make 40 days, but it's the 40 days excluding the Sundays. And, and, and this practice of observing Lent was formalised over 300 years after Christ was crucified. It was actually formalised in, in a council, the Council of Nicaea, actually the first council of Nicaea. There were more than one council of them. And they formalised this practice of Lent. Now, now Lent is actually a, a time of preparation for those who were to be baptised on Easter Sunday. It was a time for them to prepare themselves, ready themselves for this new life, resurrection, new birth that they were having through baptism on Easter Sunday. But it's also a time of penitence. So that, that means time of uh, reflecting on yourself and putting yourself um, down because of what you've happened. And it was especially a time of penitence for those who had done grievous sins that had meant that they had been removed from allowing to have communion with the church. It was a time when they would... Um, walk around in sackcloth and ashes, which is a symbol of repentance. And they would do that for the 40 days. And what they would do in that part of preparation would be to also fast in the 40 days. And the reason they fasted for 40 days was in remembrance of how Christ fasted when he was baptised before he began his ministry, 40 days in the wilderness. And so that's why we have 40 days. Traditionally, the reading for this Sunday would be the reading of Christ's fasting and temptation. But practices over the years have, in many denominations have changed. It's moved from strict fastings where you, you, you weren't allowed to eat until after sunset, so, so nothing all during the day to that, and, and only certain foods. There were foods that you couldn't eat. Moving it down and toning it down to the point where we now kind of give up maybe a specific pleasure in our life, such as chocolate or whatever it might be that you want, coffee, whatever. I mean, people give that up for that pace. They also have a practice of giving to the poor. So when you give up something, a pleasure in life, you give to the poor at the same time. That was what it's kind of toned down to nowadays. And the the notion of wearing sackcloth and ashes has been replaced with the liturgy of Ash Wednesday, of the palm leaves taken from the year before of the celebration of Jesus' triumphal entry being brought and burnt and the ashes from those palm leaves then being placed on the sign of the cross on those who would come to the service. Lots of symbolism 
lots of ritual, lots of tradition. But see, the thing is that we often forget the significance and the meaning when we take upon the ritual upon us. So instead of it being a time of preparation for Easter, for Christ's death and resurrection, for that celebration and remembering what it is, it becomes this moment of waiting until the thing that we've given up we can have again. I always think it's funny that, you know, so many people give up chocolate and then on Easter Sunday they're getting all this chocolate and they want to gorge themselves and the fact that they've forgotten that it's all about Christ's death and resurrection and all about eating chocolate again. We've missed the point when the ritual becomes the important thing rather than what Christ has done for us. It becomes about what we've given up not about what Christ has done. So all this talk about um, Lent is a way of introduction into the sermon series uh, of what we are going to be exploring over this time, of how we can prepare ourselves as we journey to the cross, how we can prepare ourselves and listen with how Jesus made his way to the cross. Through, throughout his ministry, we're not just going to get the last week's, He's going to look at some of the elements throughout his ministry and where he's heading towards the cross. We're going to be having a look at how, what, how we have fears that hold us back and how Jesus and the faith in Jesus and God helps us overcome, move beyond those fears. In doing this, we're going to be focusing upon the promises that Jesus gave along the way to those who he met and he encountered and pushed aside the fears or the fears overtook them. So we're going to be exploring the journey to the cross that Jesus took in his ministry and some of the fears that he helped people overcome. And overarching, from the reading that we had today, from John 10, verse 10, it says this. It says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And this is Jesus speaking. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the promise that Jesus is having. This is, this is where he's leading to the cross. It's, it's, it's that you may have life and have it to the full. That's the promise that we have. And and if we focus on that promise, if we focus on that Jesus gives us life, not just life just meandering along, but life in all abundance that you can have, the joy that overflows from that. It doesn't mean that life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean life is just going to cruise on. It doesn't mean you're going to have the most rich, expensive, lavish life. That does not life in the full. It's life in the full that you have that closest relationship with God that no matter what happens, your life is abundant. And see, the thing is, when we focus on this promise that Jesus is giving us, that he's going to give us life and life to its full in abundance, then our fears that hold us back 
than our fears that become the better of us. Stop, because our focus has changed. Our focus has changed from the fears to the life that Jesus gives us. Now, it's interesting, the the reading that we've just had, just prior to coming into this message from John chapter 10, verses 1 through to 18, actually is in a discourse, a time of speaking that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, he's done a healing of a blind person, and then what happens is the Pharisees hear about this blind person that was healed on a Sabbath day, and they were upset because how could this person that everybody thought came from God, that was speaking the words of God, do such a a hideous thing as heal on the Sabbath, restore somebody on the day of rest. And so they brought the blind man to them and they they questioned him, interrogated him over this period of time and they they didn't believe he was blind but other people testified he was blind and, and it went backwards and forwards and... And then they went, we really don't believe it. And then they brought him back in a second time and said, we really want to find out, you know, who is this person? And he says, you know, all I know is that I was blind and now I can see. Are you so blind that you want to see who gave it to? So he starts to then turn it around to these Pharisees and they became really upset and they kick him out. Kick him out of the temple. They kick him out of being able to come. And Jesus actually um, hears about this that this blind person that he had healed, that the Pharisees had questioned numerous times, was kicked out. And he goes out and seeks out the blind man and then talks to him. And in this time of talking to him, there are Pharisees that are standing around. So they're, they're, they're wanting to find out what's going on and they're standing around listening to Jesus talking to the blind man and the conversation that he's having with the blind man, he then kind of turns towards the Pharisees and has this conversation. And ultimately he says this, and it comes from John 9, verses 39 to 41. We'll put it up on the screen for it. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So he's actually, you know, really putting it to the Pharisees here. He's he's actually telling them that they are blind, that they actually do not see the plans and the purposes of God, that what they are doing even though that they have the rituals and the rules and the law and everything else, what they have placed in front of them was a stumbling block. And then he goes on further to then move into talking about the good shepherd and the good shepherd and the sheep. And this, and this conversation is, while the disciples are hearing all of this, this conversation is directed to the Pharisees. They're the ones that he's having this conversation with. A very pointed conversation. So he, he, not only does he say that, you know, they're blind, but he ultimately is telling them that they're the thieves. This is hard. 
And it's interesting because the, the, the notion of the shepherd and the sheep and tending the sheep in the sheepfold, and Kerry has done a great message on, on that particular passage. Um, and I'm just going to encourage you to go back and, and go back over that. But she explains uh, really well about the shepherd and the sheepfold and the, and the, and the, how that there was a gate which was not, you know, a, a creaky gate that you open and close, but was an opening. And the shepherd would actually sleep in the opening and therefore keep the sheep safe. The shepherd was the door, was the gate, was the way that the sheep came in and came out. But interestingly, when, we, when we're looking at all of this, the use of shepherd and the sheep and the flock is used figuratively for the ruler and their subjects as well as God and God's people. The shepherd and the sheep. The king and the subjects. And you can even think, and the term is used within churches, the pastor, the one that looks and cares after the flock. Romans 10, verse 8, onwards says this. And that message is very, is the very message about, oh, hang on. I haven't got it up on the screen. We'll just take that one off. That's actually from Romans. We're going to deal with that in just a moment. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep, and all who come out before me have been thieves and robbers. Notice this. He's the gate for the sheep. He's the one that protects, that cares for, stops the wild animals coming through. But everybody who's come before me are the thieves and robbers. And he's talking with the Pharisees, he's talking with the people around but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. This is the reason why I wanted to place this at the very beginning of our series about the journey to the cross. Jesus here is talking about he is the gate, he is the way for us to follow. He is the one that gives salvation. They go in and they go out and they find pasture, but the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus, he has come that everybody may have life and life to the full. For I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So he's already talking about what he's going to do. He is the good shepherd. We are the sheep, and he is going to lay down his life for us that we may be saved. See, the promise that Jesus gives about this, about being the good shepherd, is 
that he's come to give us life and a life in all of its fullness that we can have. This means that if we are thinking about our fears, and I just want you to pause for a moment, think about the things that stop you, that that hold you back because of fear. Now, for many of us, there have been fears over COVID, over catching it, over passing it on, over all of the health issues, and, and rightly so. It has killed so many people. There are right now fears around the world with the conflict that is in Ukraine and whether this is going to spill out into the rest of the world and it cripples us, it stops us, it, it angers us, it churns us up. Fear stops us from doing things. But life allows us to move. And what Jesus does in order for us to start to overcome fears, and the first point I want to make for our sermon series is a clear direction, a clear purpose, a clear reason why Jesus has come, that we may have life and have it in its fullness, will help us overcome our fears. The clear purpose that Jesus has given means that we can start to overcome our fears because we know that God has given us life. We know that no matter what, God will give us life in abundance. Our fears cannot hold us back from that. Our fears cannot stop us from having that life that Christ has promised to us. Because we know that Jesus is the eternal life giver. Now we'll go to the reading from Romans. Romans 10 verses 8 through to 13. And, and this is a lovely passage. And it gives us um, how we have life and life eternal. What it means that when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Saviour, it's important. And, and interestingly, this, if you are following the, the traditional lectionary for this time of the year, this would be one of our readings for that. It would be a reading from the gospel um, looking at Jesus' time in the wilderness and temptation, but it would also be this passage from Romans, and it comes and it says this. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly, openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And, and I love this. It reminds us that it's not about rituals. It's not about traditions. That doesn't bring salvation. It's about opening and declaring that Jesus is Lord above all things. 
and believing that he was raised from the dead, that he died for our sins and raised to new life. And our sins are forgiven because of what Christ has done. It's grace. This line, when we think about our fears that we may have, when we trust in God, when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, it says, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him, that is Jesus, will never be disgraced. It's a statement of your fears will be moved away from you. You won't fall into that space. So let us just pray together. Loving God, we give you thanks for this time and we just give you thanks that you, you are here amongst us, opening our hearts and our minds to your word. Lord, we know that your journey towards the cross in all of its ups and downs and all of its encounters with the people that you met, you had a clear vision and a clear purpose for each and every one, for all of the world that they may live, they may have life, and they may have life to its max, to its full. And Lord, help us not to let our fears take that from us. We know your perfect love dries out those fears. So Lord, today we ask, we ask you to take our fears from us. Help us to move beyond them so that we may have life. Life because we follow you, Joy. We follow you in all of our ways. Lord, you are our Lord. You're our Saviour. You're our God. We place our trust in you. We believe in you. Amen.